0: Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston and we're recording this episode on a Monday morning after Manchester United got back to winning ways, believe it or not, for a 1-0 win against Fulham uh, as the early kickoff on Saturday afternoon. Now, for today's podcast, I'm joined by my colleague Tyrone Marshall, who's just had a week off, actually. He was celebrating his 50th birthday. So, Tyrone, how are you to begin with?
1: Yes, very good, Stephen. Very good. No surprise to see more factual accuracy in <laughs> uh, your comments here. Did you have a good week? I did, I yes, Thank you. A relaxing week. Childcare for the first half, and then uh, yeah, partying at the weekend. So no more we trips to Alton awesome Towers football. then. There wasn't any trips to Alton Towers. No, no. There was there's a, a trip to Blackpool in the middle of a storm that was quite eventful. But no, it was uh, it was a relatively chilled week. I think
0: we'll save that story for another
1: day, maybe. Uh, but we've got plenty to talk about. In the first part, we'll dive into Fulham.
0: Uh, the performance, obviously we'll pick out a few individual performances in the second part as usual and we'll look ahead to Copenhagen, and uh, the Champions League game of course, on Wednesday night. But, so we'll just begin, a crucial and gritty win in the end. Um, a successive 3-0 defeats against Manchester City and Newcastle. The pressure was really mounting on Eric Ten Hag, it really wasn't looking good. We spoke, and I know you weren't here, but we spoke of the importance of getting a win here, and a away win, and they got it. They got it across the line, a Bruno Fernandes goal, which was so important.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is massive because they just need, they need wins at the moment, clearly, because things have been going so bad. Um, it, I was going to say it was a great moment. I don't know if that's overstating it, maybe, given the quality of the opposition, but it was, you know, you could tell it was a big moment at the end. You could tell it meant a lot with the celebrations. It it was a a relief of pressure, I guess, um, with the goal. And it's a brilliant moment for Fernandes and brilliant skill to set up the shooting chance. It it felt very similar to Brentford, to Sheffield United, to FC Copenhagen, and And we know that those were, I mean, false dawns, basically, weren't they? They were gritty wins against when it was two average sides playing each other. And it kind of felt like that again on, on Saturday. It was a win. It was a badly needed three points, given where they are on the table in the start of the season. But you often hear coaches or managers talk about there being like a future in performances. Whether you whether you win or lose, you look at the performance. I said on this podcast before, it's a low-scoring sport. There's always going to be a bit of luck involved. And really, you should be judging it on performances. Are those performances good enough to get you to where you want to be at the end of the season? And the reality is, even on Saturday, no, would be the answer. Um, but they did win. They, they spoke after Brentford and Sheffield United and all those wins about how they're it, it, it's a corner turned and stuff and it was that was a false dawn so they need to prove that this win can give them some momentum and confidence but you know the reality is that they, again they didn't play particularly well i didn't think they didn't play brilliantly well they didn't play close to brilliantly um and as as valuable as it is to get the win they need to improve the performances if the season is to to be turned around and become even close to being successful
0: there was a banner in the away end before the game that said play like you mean it and i mean has been referenced on social media quite a lot in the last 48 hours but as you just said yeah it was a spirited performance but it was it was low on quality wasn't it it wasn't exactly a performance to celebrate but look like we say a crucial win in the end and obviously for Fernandez it meant a lot for him it's 200th appearance for the club a landmark moment and when you're struggling and the chips are down you need your biggest players to deliver and he did that especially I think after the criticism uh, recently I mean after the City game Roy Keane was kind of questioning his, his captain credentials we've been here before haven't we this is yeah. nothing new and I mean that was a kind of response to his critics in that regard wasn't it
1: yeah it was and he he does get a lot of criticism um, more I think for his uh, demeanour I guess than his, than his performance his petulance That's, isn't his, his petulance, people's you know I think there's, there's maybe an idea that has grown a little bit as well that he doesn't help the team in some ways but I think you know, the first half against Newcastle last week I think it made it pretty clear that United uh, you know, this, uh, taking Fernandes out is clearly not the answer um, and it, it was a big moment for him. His, his, uh, his contribution and his like, how much he cares. I mean, he is someone who does play like he means it, I think. Um, it, he, he had a pretty good start to the season. I mean, he really inspired the Forest win. Um, I think he was, he was brilliant that day. Since then, he's, he's drifted a bit. He's looked a bit too rushed with the ball at times recently. He's looking over the top and for that early ball constantly, but we know what his contribution can be. He's, easily the most successful signing of the last, I mean, possibly the whole ten years since. Yeah, I think that's a it, definitely first a fair statement. statement. Certainly in recent years. Um, his contribution is brilliant. The, the debate over his captaincy isn't going to go away because that is just him and how he behaves. And I think it's a more than fair debate, to be honest with
0: Is it not a bit tired, though? Because I agree, it's fair in the, in, the, in the sense that you see his petulance on the pitch and his demeanour, his behaviour, and it can frustrate the life out of some fans and understandably so, especially when the chips are down and you're having a tough game and he's throwing his hands up in the air. But who, who are you going to give the armband to? We've discussed this in the summer yeah. and he was the only logical candidate to give the captain's armband to.
1: Well, he's the only logical candidate now when you look at that team because he's one of the few that are guaranteed to to start. You know, I think Tonalic 26 players in 16 games this season. In the summer, you'd have maybe said Varane would have a chance of the captaincy. Well, Casemiro dropped. as well. Casemiro, he's injured and should have been dropped anyway. There is clearly no other candidate at the moment. But I do think that the, the petulance Fernandez shows when things are going wrong, the, the second half at Liverpool last season was appalling from him. Um, and the way he just lost his head. City, again, wasn't great. Um, I think there's certainly a discussion about his... Um, you know, it's the way he plays, it's heart-on-the-sleeve stuff, but you know he's just constantly on at referees. And it, as the captain, is that the best way to do it? You know, you talk about managing referees, Having Fernandez, who's just on them, whether the decision's fair or not, I'm not sure is the the best way. On some, some subconscious level, there, the referees must be sick of hearing him, and when they're reffing United, they must know they're going to get it. And I'm not sure that's that's you know the best approach. But in terms of um, in terms of leadership of the group and inspiring and, and playing, you know, showing leadership on the pitch, I think he's easily he's easily the best candidate, and he he does do that. He he often stands up to be counted in. In those important moments, and there's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's clearly no other candidate at the moment. Is it? Samuel always makes a good point. To be fair to him, that he speaks
0: multiple languages as well, which can really yeah, help the sport. of Casemiro, I think, is English lacks, doesn't it? And yeah, yeah. If you're going to be a captain in the Premier League, you need to be able to communicate with the referees. With the whole, yeah, with yeah, the referees, and with and the, rest of of the squad. The yeah, I mean, it's so important, isn't it? Yeah. Um from the current captain then to the former captain, Harry Maguire. You know, I love a statistic. He made the most aerial duels or won the most aerial duels, I should say, of anyone on the pitch, and he also made the most clearances. He was my man of the match. I mean, Fernandez got given the man of the match award. Um, but for me, I thought Maguire was excellent. He went down, I think, a minute in the game after a nasty collision. He also went down the second half. Uh, we thought it was related to that collision, but it was a hand injury. So, look, he played through the pain barrier. I thought it was a really polished performance. He played a key role in the foundation at the back and, and keeping Fulham out. I thought it was really impressive.
1: Yeah, I did. And, you know, when he went down early in that game, he looked pretty unwell. You know, it's, it's a if it has been said then, it'd complete 90 minutes, it would have been amazing because he looks, you know, he looked as unwell as I felt on Sunday morning. Could it sound was.
0: very stupid, but I've got him in my fantasy football team and I thought he's going off. I thought that's absolutely yeah, typical. Ruined <laughs>
1: um, but no, it was a good, I mean, he's been, he's been really good recently and I think he's in that team on, on merit at the moment. And, you know, whatever's going on with Varane and, and picking Johnny Evans ahead of him is unclear, but it's clear that Maguire. Is in, should be in that team whether Varane's playing or not Varane would come in for Johnny Evans you know Maguire is it, he'd be third choice at least if everyone was fit now and, and maybe more than that and you know, I think he, he deserves enormous credit I think for, for the character he's shown this season he gets we, we spoke countless times on this podcast about how he's you know he's a pantomime villain really um, the treatment he got from Scotland fans from Arsenal fans earlier this season just ridiculous really like he becomes some sort of joke figure when actually you know he's a very good international defender um, and he clearly went through a difficult time he went through a time where things were just going against him and that Scotland game kind of summed it up when he came on Scotland fans were just cheering every pass without realising that every pass was actually finding a teammate, and he was playing quite well and then he goes and scores an own goal um, you had to feel sorry for him in that moment you, you just, didn't just think, feel sorry so for him sometimes he just doesn't get the breaks does he no well that, and it, that kind of that felt like that's the things that happen to Harry Maguire at the moment um but, you know, he, he could have easily left in the summer had United paid paid him up on the contract front he would have left but he also felt that he could stay and, and fight for his place and that although it looked like he was far away he, he perhaps wasn't and, and that's been seen as Martinez has got this injury fairly lengthy injury and Maguire has got his opportunity and has taken it and has played really well and you know, I said eh, I can't remember which game it was but it, it was did he come back at Brentford so it would have been Copenhagen, maybe would he have scored the
0: match win against Copenhagen. Yeah, in the one, though.
1: and that was just the first time he'd ever started three games in a row under Ten Hag, which kind of shows how peripheral he has been. He started two in a row at the very start of Ten Hag's tenure, then after that he never got to three in a row. I think he'd barely got to two in a row, and now he's on five. Would it be something like that? I think four league starts. Four league so starts. it's six successive starts at the moment.
0: But in the league, it's, it's four league starts yeah. he's made. Um, and I mean, he made eight league starts last season, so he's already halfway yeah. to the whole of last yeah. season. You, you just talked about Varane being on the bench. Do you think it's possible? Because we've talked about how Tenog likes to have Maguire on a certain side, and he talks about having the advantage of the build up play. I think he's better on the left, but Tenag likes to have him on the right. Yeah. Do you think that's possible that he's actually keeping Varane out of the team at the moment? And I know we've saw Johnny Evans come in, and he said it's for tactical reasons. There's obviously a few different factors to consider. Varane's not being fit. He's been, he's obviously been injured. Um, but he came on towards the end of the game against Fulham. I expected him to start.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, when um, you know, when I, when I asked someone in that head of the derby why, what the, what the issue with Varane was, and they said tactical reasons, and you know, I jaw nearly at the floor. It felt, it felt hard to believe. But I think it is definitely related to build-up play. We saw it last season when Ten Hag spoke a lot about having a left footer, and now he's not got a left footer now, but having a left footer playing that side to the point that he'd often play Shaw instead of Martinez because he wanted those passing angles. Um, I mean, they're, they're not really playing that way that much at the moment, so it's less relevant, but he clearly values it a lot. Maguire and Evans have got an understanding because they played together at Leicester of, of how to, you know, who, who does what in so that's just, It's up, a yeah. funny sentence that in itself, it's, isn't it? Well, it's an incredible sentence. Manchester it? United in 2023, you're talking yeah, about our partnership. I know, and it, you know, it kind of shows up it shows where they've ended up as well, that they've they've, they've got that. Um, I mean, part of the thing, Varane's injury record is disastrous for United. But also, I don't think he's been consistently brilliant since they signed him. You know, he's been good, but he's not, I don't think he's been consistently world-class. He's probably not strong enough games together to maybe reach that level. But, you know, when I was thinking about it after the derby, I thought, in I don't it's probably not it, it looks a crazy decision because you're picking a 35-year-old Johnny Evans who got relegated last season ahead of a four-time Champions League winger and winner and 93-cap France <laughs> international. You could go on, couldn't you? You could go yeah. on. It looks crazy. But Varane hasn't been, you know, he hasn't been undroppable for United throughout his, his time there. Um, so maybe it's not that controversial a decision. But it shows, you know, it shows in a way how bad and how uncertain the have been this season. That You look now, if the first day of the season, he picked 10 of what would have been his best 11 easily, apart from Hoyland coming in. You look at it now, and maybe five of them in the team. Some have been injured. Some have been dropped. Some, like Anthony and Rashford, probably should be dropped. Um, and you've got players like Johnny Evans, who only signed on deadline day, is suddenly in the team. Maguire and McTominay, who turned out to try to sell this summer, are now in your best team. And you know it, it shows how quickly things have turned since the opening day of the season, purely because of performances. But it also feels like it's... You know, Ten Hag doesn't really know where to go at the moment. He's kind of stumbled across this this team, and it's you know it's a team for for the scraps, isn't it? Maguire, Evans, McTominay—they're going to get stuck in. A West Ham, we're playing that. Yeah, they're going to play like they mean <laughs> it. Basically. Yeah, it's very, very um, nicely done. But it's not—you know—you you wouldn't if Ten was sitting down and looking at his players at a list now and picking his best team. You still think he'd want Mason Mount in there. He'd want Varane Martinez in there. And obviously Martinez is injured at the moment, but he, he, he kind of stumbled back on this like, I don't want to say old fashioned, but kind of like this British get stuck in. Just get get results across out. the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I said, the, the, the performances have got to come at some point as well. I mean, Wan-Bissaka I thought was good
0: as well. His first start since coming back from injury, obviously he replaced Dalo uh, midweek against Newcastle. To be fair to Dallow, I mean, he was terrible against Newcastle, but he made a great clearance in the first half uh, on Saturday, which was brilliant. But look, it was fantastic to have Wan-Bissaka back and talked about the injury crisis so much. They've now got half of their first choice. Well, they've got Varane back as well, as so you've got three of the four. No, sorry, Varane and Wan-Bissaka. So it's half of the first choice. Uh,
1: defensive line, isn't it, back? Yeah. And that's a huge boost. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, and, you know, Wan-Bissaka's similar to Maguire, I guess, in a way. He deserves a lot of credit for the way he turned it around. And, you know, he, he did it last season. I think at halfway through last season at the World Cup, we all thought he was done. He played four minutes and then finished last season as the best right-back. As you know, I've, I've said a few times now that I think that right back battle feels quite close, but it's quite close because I'm not sure either either is necessarily the answer.
0: I would agree with that, and I have agreed with that, but I do think Wan-Bissaka is now ahead of Dalo.
1: I think he's getting ahead of him, and you're right that I, I mean Dallow is just so inconsistent. Uh, you know, like defensively against Newcastle, he was just you know all over it was a mess, the place, wasn't really, it? Yeah. Um, and he's he's just incredibly inconsistent. And uh, you know. I i I'm not sure why he's I wouldn't play him a left back to be honest. I'd play Ragulian there. I think Regulon's done all right when he's when he's played. He seems to be in and out of the team. But yeah, I, I think you're right that Wambasaka has definitely forced himself ahead of Dallow now. And I if you were gonna sign a new right back and keep one of them as a squad player, then I would I would keep Wambasaka ahead of Dallow, I think, and maybe accept that, that Dallow would, would move on. But, you know, I, I still think that it, next summer, presuming you know, presuming he's still in charge and this season makes a recovery, I think a right-back would be high on the list of priorities. But yeah, out of those two, I think, Wambasaka is is producing the more consistent performances. He maybe can't hit. You know, Dallow at his very best has maybe got an extra level that Wambasaka hasn't, especially going forward and what he can do on the ball. we just but not
0: saw that player since just, October
1: 2022. No, no, we? no, we haven't. And he, you know, he started really well under Ten Hag last season, but like you say, he dipped dramatically after the World Cup and now it's just hugely inconsistent, really. Well, can't uh, end this first spot then without mentioning the controversial
0: VAR decision. Uh, would, fo- would football even be football without these controversial refereeing decisions these days? It's just inevitable, isn't it? Scott McTominay also feels inevitable. He pops up at the back post, thinks he puts United ahead. Obviously, VAR reviews it. Harry Maguire is deemed to be into the theme of play because he was in an offside position. It was a controversial moment. What was your take on it? Um, because it's almost a subjective offside, which is absolutely
1: bizarre. Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't the most controversial VAR decision of the weekend, was it? Steve? Well, was quite a few. <laughs> fair to play, fair to say. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was one of those where that, that's something that would never be spotted if you were just ref in the game as the referee and the assistants are. You, you're never going to spot. He didn't. He didn't make contact with the ball. It's a very difficult offside to see. That's just never going to be given in real time. But if you're going to use VAR for offsides which in a way is the easiest thing to use it for because it's factual or most of the time, apart from the time when it wasn't. Was it? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's factual. They draw the lines. They normally get it right, unless like Newcastle, they can't actually see the player. But, you know, they, they normally get it right. They draw the lines. He's off or he's not. And like you say, it, it was kind of subjective of whether is he interfering. I think he probably was interfering. And if you're going to use VAR for offsides, which in my view, you should do, then... It is it is offside, I think. That's just... You've got
0: the argument that look, he's no he's nowhere near Ganacho, Maguire. But then if, if Maguire wasn't there, surely that defender would be marking Ganacho. So it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't kind of thing. Yeah,
1: it's, it's the old oh, you know, I can't remember who said it now, it was it Brian Club, but if, it's the old quote of if you're not interfering with play, then what on earth were you doing there? Yeah, sure. You know, it's it's a free kick that's coming into the box right where Mag- say right yeah, you know, basically where Maguire is, it's to the back post and he's attacking the back post, isn't he? And the ball, you know, the ball goes over his head. But he was distracting. You know, he was certainly distracting a defender. Um, so yeah, I think you know. I think if you're going to use it like that, then it's inevitable. Low decisions are going to happen, and I can see why it feels like the game's being re-reffed, and it's you know it's almost anti-goal when you when you're looking at things like that. But like I say, the, the offside decisions are factual, and it did feel like he was interfering with play. So I can see, I can see why it's given, even though it feels that you watch it in real time and you think there's no way that goal's being disallowed and then they, they find a way to disallow it. Uh, you know, I can see why there's frustration with it, but yeah, I, I can also see why it, why it was given. That's some great uh, sitting on the fence there. Thank you, yeah, yeah. That's That's quite impressive, actually. <laughs> uh, that'll be it
0: for part one. We'll be back in the moment for part two. Uh, Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, I felt that was a bit upbeat, actually, the first part, which was quite a refreshing change after some negative (laughs) podcasts and some inquests. But obviously, the performance wasn't great, as we touched upon. Um, I mean, let's get stuck into Anthony then. Uh, Exactly your reaction says it all there. I mean, he came off in the 65th minute. He was actually booed off Tyrone. Pallestia replaced him. It was just another mess of a performance. I mean, we, we said it all last season. Our patience was running out. We expected bigger things this time around it's just not happened he's remained the same player Um, 86 million he looks worth an absolute fraction of that doesn't he and at the end of the day the responsibility has to fall on ten arc because as we've said multiple times this was very
1: much his man and very much his signing yeah absolutely i mean he doesn't look like he's worth 8.6 million pound at the moment um you know that that was absolutely horrific on saturday i don't that i don't think it's too harsh to say it's been horrific for weeks, so hasn't it? It has, yeah. Just Mums. a complete passenger, not influencing games. You know, if you were looking for excuses or reasons for it, he's obviously had these off-pitch issues this season that he's had to deal with that are still ongoing. Um, uh, but I just, it, it's not like it, it's not like these performances have come after that last season. He was not not really good enough. You know, there was the odd moment, but just not not really good enough. And I just, I don't see what he's bringing to the party. For me, he cannot be in the team this week. You're almost playing with Ted at times with the way he's playing at the moment. And my biggest concern, and I know he clarified this in his press conference last week, but when Ten Hag said after the derby, we can't play like Ajax, you know, we've got to be more direct. And he said earlier this year, he wants them to be best transition team in the world. You know, he clearly seems to have adapted to like, to thinking, well, we'll just play on the counter now. Why have you signed Anthony? Because it's pretty clear he's going to offer nothing on the counter. He's one paced, which is, for a winger, fairly slow. I'm sure he's quicker than me. But, you know, for a winger, you know, he's, you don't look at him and think, he's the winger you want on a counter, picking the ball up five yards inside his own half or on the halfway line, because he ain't going to stay clear. He's, we, we mentioned several times how he you know, uses his left foot to dribble and just dribbles out, out wide rather than into goal, which is you want, on the counter. He's just, he's not a winger signed to play in that way. And Ten Hag signed him from Ajax as his marquee signing, his £85 million signing. So if you're not intending to play like Ajax, why have you spent so much money on a player who can't do anything but that? You know, he's the type of player, and I've said it on the podcast a couple of times now, you get him the ball in the final third, and I think he can look dangerous. You know, I looked at all his goals last season, every one of them he gets the ball in the final third when United are on the front foot and attacking. And he's either played through, running in on goal, or he gets it in that inside right channel and basically does a robin, cuts in, whips it in. But from none of them, is he doing what Rashford sometimes does, where he picks it up way out wide or near his own halfway and runs at players because he, yeah. he, he beats players. He can't he can't do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I heard those quotes from Ten Hag, I thought if, if I was United, that would really worry me about... It, it struck me as a manager who lost his way, basically.
0: He tried to clarify it in his next press conference,
1: but I still didn't really buy it. No, into it myself, I didn't. I didn't really buy into it, to be honest. And it does, like I say, that I, I, I think he, he must, you know, Ten must look at Anthony and know that he can't play on the break. He's not, you know, he's a, he's a winger for a dominant team who, when he's he's being passed the ball in the final third, when your team, you know, when United are playing or Ajax are playing in the opposition's half. Which Ajax would have done under Sanag all the time in the area of Easy. You're basically dominating the game, every opposition player's in their half, and you find Anthony in a little bit of space in the final third. It's like Jaden Sancho at Dortmund, actually. It's yeah. yeah, the similar, style, yeah. Style. And they can do some damage there. But the way United are playing at the moment, the positions, and maybe this is, you know, as, as brutal as we've been to him at the start of this segment, maybe this, you know, maybe it's not all his fault in that he is. You know, this is a team that's not set up to get the best out of him now. And I know in the summer, there was some hope that Hoyland would transform that, that his hold-up play would allow him, you know, to play higher up the pitch, to get higher up the pitch and to get Anthony in, in those positions. And I think there is an acceptance among the coaching staff that that's where he needs the ball. But at the moment, it's just not happening. And if they're not intending to play that way, then frankly, they've wasted £85 million. And, you know, that for a club who's pretty tight on FFP, that's... that's it's brutal. Yeah. It's absolutely brutal.
0: Yeah. And I think he's obviously persistent with him because he is worth that much money, and he did have to push so hard to sign him because otherwise it just doesn't make sense. But I guess at some point you've just got to kind of cut your losses. I mean, maybe yeah, sell him. But I mean, take him out of the team That's to begin true. with, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, Palestria came on as we've said, and he did actually quite well to set up Fernandez for that goal. He is probably below the level to start. I think we can all agree on that. But. He can sometimes be effective from the bench and I guess that's just who he is at the moment and where he is at this stage of his development.
1: Yeah, you know, he, he did really well for the goal and he was, he was good um, off the bench. He can influence games a bit off the bench. We've said in the past he's, you know, he's, he's a bit old school and he's right footed, right winger, quite direct. Um, he, he's not really played well from the start. Um, sure, really he's poor against Bayern Munich when he got his big chances. He was, yeah, yeah and he just, you know, he, he doesn't look at, at the level. It's the same with Hannibal, really. I, I don't think either of them look at the level to be Manchester United players or for where Manchester United want to be, really. I guess the one that would or could potentially put him under pressure is Ahmad, um, who is injured at the moment. You're right, you know, there's two reasons, I guess, Anthony's in the team, because there's pretty much no other option out there. Unless, which is what I do, I play Fernandez out there or Mounds out there at the moment. I think that's probably the solution. And also, like I say, I mean Ten Hag is is hitched to him in a big way. Really, I think he's. I mean, the way United went about signing Anthony was was poor last year. The fact they got it done on deadline day, they you know, they in, in mid July when the when prices we were on went tour, up and
0: up and up. Didn't yeah, they? The in mid July
1: when we were on tour, at, at, very early the start of tour in Bangkok, we were told that the actually were asking too much and. United were walking away and that was when Ajax wanted about 60 million quid. Which would have been too day, 86. So, you know, Ajax, and I think van der Sar has basically said it, you know, Ajax had United's pants down, basically, for a player who's drastically underperforming. So, you know, I think there is pressure on Ten Hag to get a tune out of him, which is why he keeps playing. Their, their fates are going to be intertwined quite possibly in a, in a big way, especially if, you know, if, if, if Ten Hag, if Ten Hag drops Anthony and manages to turn it around, then maybe he'll kind of get a pass on it. But, if you can't turn it around and Anthony keeps playing like this, you know, they are they almost come as a package now. Um so but it, it you know, like I say, I, I don't think he's gonna be in the team this week. So I'll be playing Fernandes or, or Main
0: Talk about the other attackers then. I mean, Ganacho, I don't think he was very good in the first half, but I actually thought he was way better in the second. He really improved. He was their biggest attack and threat I thought for large parts of after half time. Um, I felt a bit sorry for Rasmus Hoyland up front. And I'm starting to feel a bit sorry for him, Ty. I mean, I'm watching him and he's getting criticised for being anonymous. Okay, that's fair enough. But he's getting absolutely no service. The lad is feeding off absolute shreds. Um, And again, I mean, the attack was blunt, but they're just not getting the ball or creating chances.
1: No, they're not. I think there's a bit of both in that. They're not getting the ball to him enough,
0: but... I guess when he gets those moments and there's sometimes been half chances and He's not a Harry Kane. He's not going to cut with the on no. a half
1: chance every but single this time. Is it. He's, this is this is kind of what we expected. He's very raw. If you put if you put Harry Kane in that team and United are still playing as they are, you know, I'd bet you Kane would have got three or four Premier League goals. He would have scored the, the as Derby as well. goal when he got played through. have yeah, scored would, that. Yeah, Kane would have scored that. You know, and Kane Kane would create chances himself. He would you know he find a way to create a chance or, or or do something, and that's what that's what great strikers do. And Hoyland isn't there yet. There's a lot of potential. There, um, you know, we saw it, the, the second goal against Kanatassarai especially was like, a, you know, that was like, there's something potentially special here. But, you know, he's raw. United accepted he was raw when they signed him. They said he was, you know, I think they described him as a rough diamond. And that's, that's what you're going to get. And we've said it, you know, I remember saying it on this podcast at the start of the season. What is a, a good season for Hoyland personally this year? Probably 15 Premier League goals. That's not good enough for United. And that's, that's the problem that they've got a striker who is learning his trade playing as Manchester United's number nine. And when suddenly Rashford isn't scoring, Anthony never really scores. There's even more pressure on him to score and he's not scoring. So there's even more pressure on him to score. And I mean, that's
0: unfair as well on a young lad. It's a Absolutely, result of the club's far plan, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. it?
1: It is unfair on the young lad, but it, you know United have created that situation by gambling, I guess, on a, on a 20-year-old. I mean, I do think he'll come good at, at some point. But it might be two years down the line um, and then you've you know you've wasted two years blooding in a number nine basically so you know I, I could always see the merits with not signing Kane this summer um certainly I mentioned previously an age profile of the team and we, you know we've seen what's happened with Casemiro this year where suddenly it looks like you, then if you had them, slightly... I
0: mean, We don't want to harp on about Kane too much because that, that chip sale. but if you had Harry Kane coming in, you've got your experienced striker who's, what, 30 years old
1: now, is he? And then you've got your young one coming through. So it would be the perfect blend, wouldn't it? It like, would, would be it, the would perfect blend. Um, you know, I think... I know Ten Hag wanted something like that. In reality, I think spending £170, £180 million pound on two strikers was... Not, not realistic, feasible yeah. ...in United's budget this summer. Um, you know, they pushed the boat out on 72 for Hoyland, I think. But... You know given that scenario, maybe they should have looked at someone other than Hoyland, someone ready to come in and, and hit the ground running because we are in this. like I say I, I have sympathy for him that he's ended up in an underperforming team now, but like I say, if, if that was if Harry Kane was in that team, United would have scored more goals and be higher than where they are now, and that's not to, clearly not to pin the blame on Hoyland. you know if you're making a list of players who are fall for things this season, it'd be near or very near the bottom, um, but this you know, this was always inevitable. I think that there was going to be times where he would struggle, where he would look raw. And it's happened pretty much at the start of his, his career. Really, he's also got the three goals in the Champions League, not in the Premier League. And, and the more it goes on, the more he's kind of feeding that pressure. And like I say, it's, it's a bigger pressure just because none of the forwards are, are providing goals. And it's not, it's not clear to see where, where goals are going to come from, really. And I have mentioned it previously, you look, at, you look at the way they're playing at the moment and the way they played on Saturday. And the best teams, you can look at them and think, right, I know I City want to score a goal. I know I Liverpool want to score a goal. I know I Arsenal want to score a goal. Tottenham already, I know how they want to score a goal. I watch United play at the moment and I'm like, I don't know what the plan is here to score a goal. I don't know like how it's but we've been seeing this for just going to happen like 12 that. weeks now. Yes, yeah. well, so exactly, it's, it's been nothing, since the first game of the really season. No.
0: Yeah. And I mean, me and Samuel said the problem is with the style of play. If you're going to change the style of play, you do it in a pre season. You need six weeks to really get your principles across. It's not something you really radically change Drew during a campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I thought it
1: was a good um, line from Rio Ferdinand the weekend when he said, if he asked those United players, what is your style of play, none of them would be able to give him a satisfying answer. And I thought that's probably true. And even if you asked Ten Hag at the moment, real the style Ferdinand of the play is something sensible. I know, incredible. Stop, yeah, well, I know, stop the world. I know to see where you were close to. Um, <laughs> best friends, um, absolute best friends. I, thought it, I just thought it, it, it seemed a good description, because I bet if you asked all those United players, what's the style of play? When you're on the pitch, what's the aim? I think I think the they're they definitely have an answer, but whether they believe it is another matter. Well, that's it. Whether we'd look at it and go like, oh, I see it, or they'd explain it, and we'd be like, right, well, that's a concern because it looks nothing like that on the pitch. And the same with Ten Hag. It'd be interesting to hear Ten Hag say at the moment what you know. Sit sit down, sit in this chair here, and tell us what the style of play is and what you want the players to be doing.
0: Well, he was at the Football Writers Association Awards dinner last night, so maybe we can get him in the hot seat. Uh, at the MEN's offices, I'm sure we're going to ex- extend the invite. Uh, we'll come on to Rashford quickly then to end his part. he was obviously out of the team. Um, he had a birthday party on Sunday night uh, after the derby. Ten was asked, look, if he was fit, would he have started? He said yes, which was interesting and I guess that kind of drew a, lot, drew a line under that issue. Um, it's, I think it's important that he's been out of the team because we've talked about his form, his muddling performances, he's been awful, not the same player as he was last season which is the best uh, year of his career. And it's probably going to help him that he's not being in the starting side. Take him away from it for a bit, put him back in eventually. But it's going to bode well, surely. It's going to help him.
1: Well, hopefully, I mean, hope something, something has to change. Like I say, he's, you can almost look at that last season and I think there's more going on, but last season was almost built. A lot of it was built on Casemiro and Rashford. Rashford provided the goals. Casemiro provided the steal. And suddenly they looked a much better team they were keeping a lot of clean sheets they were solid defensively they had more control in midfield and rashford would just do something out of nothing and score a goal both of them have been poor this year and it's all fallen apart and i think that it's clearly you know i think that's linked i do think it's more of a play but it is linked um I'm i thinking. mean so in it's, it's, it's terms of solutions though I mean, Rich said it, like Sarsko used to carry on just playing
0: players back into form, just keep on selecting them, yeah. hope to get a goal. But that's not really worked, has it, with Rashford?
1: It hasn't really worked, no. And he didn't finish last season in great form, to be fair. But you know, the, the problem with Rashford, I think, is he goes through these spells where he's, he's streaky, which is what happened after the World Cup last year in a good way, in that he's scoring goals and suddenly he believes everything he's going to touch is going to turn to gold and he can't stop scoring. And then it goes wrong for him. And it's like his confidence is, is just shot. And there's, I'm trying to remember what game it was recently. It might have been Brentford, I think, where his ball came to our wide. He just he didn't even control it. He just went straight through him and out for a throw in. And you could sense like the groans around Old Trafford. And I think it's been clear that the crowd are starting to turn and get frustrated again with him because he kind he does give that demeanour at times when he's low on confidence and struggling. Uh, you know, as a fan watching, you would get frustrated with. Um, like I say maybe a break out of the team will will do him some good. Um I thought that would be the case last year when or the Solskjaer Ranyak year when he post euros when he had the surgery on his shoulder injury but got on for a while. He came back and scored a couple of goals but then totally lost his way again. Um so yeah, I just I just find it really hard to call with Rashford whether things whether you know whether a spell out the team will do him any good or not. It's just He's the ultimate confidence player, isn't he? Yeah, which in a way you can see why Solskjaer played him, because the only way to get your confidence back is for something good to happen. But the longer something good doesn't happen, then the lower your confidence gets, I guess. Catch 22, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, We'll be back in a moment for part three, but that's it for part two.
1: Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots
0: or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A
1: brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's football is here to stay. And so are we.
0: Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Tyrone, you alluded to it in the first part, but we've talked about the two magic words, turning point. We've talked about the words of turning point quite a lot uh, in the last few weeks and it's yet to come. You said it was a false dawn a few times. Could this be the turning point? Because we've got Copenhagen uh, in midweek. It's going to be a difficult game, they were well organised, were well drilled at Old Trafford um, and obviously a late goal was needed, Andre Nana as well, he, he made that penalty save. So it's not going to be easy and they really need momentum. Whether they are able to produce it, it remains
1: to be seen, I guess. They do, yeah. The thing is, it, it felt like they had momentum after beating Copenhagen at home when they'd won three in a row and, like you say, the penalty save. But the performances were never great and it got exposed pretty quickly against two decent teams in, well, one very good team in Man City and, a decent team in Newcastle, albeit it was a pretty ropey start starting eleven that managed to thrash United. So you know, it's I just think it's hard to say if it's a turning point at the moment. I mean it, it it's it's like that post Brentford game where they've got a good run of fixtures now. Um I don't think it'll be easy in Copenhagen. If they win that then then fair play to them. I do think they'll you know they'll have to play better to win that game. Luton at home, they really should win that. You know, if they're not beating Luton at home, I think you've got serious concerns. But I think the only way it's going to feel like a turning point is if they start playing better. And I think, you know, I think everyone felt when they were beating Brentford, Sheffield United, Copenhagen at home that all right, the wins were great. But I don't think anyone looked at that and thought they're back on track and they have turned a corner. They've get they getting by, and sure enough, when they played a good team, that that was proven to be the case. Um, so at you know at some point, if they grind out a win playing badly tomorrow or get a draw playing badly and. Uh, on Wednesday, sorry, and, you know, and get, you know, get out of there with a draw. It's hard to say because a draw is not really a good result for them, I guess. So, you know, if they get another shaky win, if they get a win by an odd goal against Luton and don't play particularly well, then, you know, it's been a decent week. But you, you need to see, at some point, we need to see performances that you can look at and say, right, I I see where they're heading now. They're, they're going to cause better teams problems. And that only then is this going to start to feel like a turning point. I mean, the
0: international break would be fantastic for that, but the problem is they're all bloody internationals. Yeah. They're not exactly going to be around current and staying no, around for, other no, for, no, for training. A few days. Um, any changes then? I mean, you talked about maybe placing Mason Mount or uh, Bruno Fernandes on the right, of course. Um, does Iran come back into the team? It would be another big decision to start Johnny Evans and Maguire, although they have kept a clean sheet. So I would say Tenog's probably a bit tempted to, to play them.
1: Yeah, I, I would say he probably is tempted to play them, actually. It would surely be a big story if Aram was benched again, because you, you'd think he's definitely fit now. Well, he's he's clearly fit now. You know, he's, I, mean, I presume he was fit against City. We were told it was tactical reasons. And so that's two games, two league games in a row, he's not played for tactical reasons. And to be fair, the one, the one area that's actually been performing fairly well recently is the defence. I think defensively they have improved a bit, um, I couldn't have got much worse after couldn't have it, much the first worth. six
0: or seven games. Fair, of season. Yeah, but they're terrible.
1: Yeah, they do seem to have improved a bit. So maybe you do play the same the same team. Um, you know, I, I'd probably play on and look for balance at, at left back. Do you bring Amrabat in in midfield? I'm not sure. I mean, he's not played particularly well so far, but he's another that Ten Hag pushed and pushed and pushed for. And although he's only alone, You feel like he needs to kind of make it work and show that he. You know he, he does he knows why he wants these players um, and then yeah I like like I say I just, I can't I can't be having Anthony in the team at the moment um, so I would make a change there and I would look to play maybe Fernandez on the right and bring Mount back in the midfield because you know Mount's another that Ten Hag wanted You know, United spent up to sixty million on him and now he's you know what what is Ten Hag's plan for it
0: That that's another I mean it's a messy situation. I said so I think the problem is. Where is he going to play? I mean, he was brought the club to play as a deep lion. He obviously made his name as a creative player, number 10. And where we've been calling from the play on the wing, but surely Ten Hag sees him as a midfielder.
1: And he's not playing at all, really, is he? That's the problem. Well, he's not playing at all now. Um, and you you, know, you signed a 60 million pound midfielder that suddenly you've lost faith with. Can kind a of midfield of Casemiro Fernandes and Bruno
0: Bruno Fernandes work oh just repeated Bruno Fernandes stuff. Casemiro Fernandes, Fernandes and Bruno, Bruno Fernandes he's <laughs> all over the place Mason Mount Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro can that work because we saw it a few times at the start of the season we said it looked unbalanced it wasn't working with Mount in. he was taken out of the team
1: I mean I think it I think it can work if everything around it is working but the problem I mean the problem is that Casemiro came back and, and looked like suddenly his, his legs had gone and he couldn't move and that's clearly a problem for a holding midfielder you've got to be Mobile in the Premier League, and suddenly Casemiro looked immobile, which makes an issue, makes it a big issue. Um, other than that, you know, they, it should be able to work. The, you see the best teams do that. I mean, Liverpool's midfield three is is similar to that. I guess they're they're playing with no real holder. You know, when when McAllister and Shawbolsley and Gravenberch are playing, there's not really a natural holder there. Um, City will play Rodri and then the Bernardo and Alvarez. I know Bernardo's been playing deep. But they can often play, often last year they were playing two number eights, so I think you know the most successful sides will look to do that and get more players committed forward but like you say it wasn't working, it probably feels a risk at the moment to do it because the team looks broken. I think
0: you're right when you say if everything's working around them though because if you hop back to the start of last season when that team was really working well, just after Casemiro arrived, and Ericsson, Casemiro, and Fernandes looked brilliant together. Yeah, they did, if yeah. you put Mount in the team back then, it probably would be a different story, and we'd be talking about what a good signing Mason Mount's been. Yeah. He looks, he's always he, oh, transitioned to that role
1: perfectly. Yeah, but it's a different story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, and it's you know it's the same sort of thing with Hoyer. I guess they've joined an underperforming team, and it, it makes it harder for them to settle in. And you know, I've said previously that Ten, Hag's, Ten Hag signed the Mason Mount we saw at Vitesse, which is like six years ago now. He's played all over the place since then for Chelsea. So it's a big ask to kind of go back to what he was doing then and, and reinvent himself as he was then. But, you know, you've got to make it work at, at some point. Um You know, the midfield is clearly an issue. Um Casemiro has made it an issue, the fact he's not there. Now might ease things a bit. But you've had... I mean, Erickson has probably been their best midfielder this season. Um, You know, he's come on and changed games in terms of the control he provides. But the thing is, when you have Casemiro and Ericsson in the same midfield, you you really short on legs. just get overwhelmed sometimes,
0: don't you? Which I mean, I said I would
1: have started Eriksen in the
0: derby. um, But I mean, it just, when he plays, it shows you what happens. It just feels inevitable against the the better sides. It it just doesn't work, really. No, it
1: feels like there's a lack of physicality and um, power, I guess, in that midfield that they're getting, you know, we've seen it too often this season. They are, that midfield is getting bypassed and outrun too easily. And that's, you know, that's a big issue to fix. I mean, it would be a disaster, it's fair to say,
0: if they crashed out of the Champions League, wouldn't it? Um, we've talked about what it means financially and the draw for players in the summer transfer window. It's, it's not looking good, though. It's been a poor start. I mean, that win was so important against Copenhagen. Yeah. They do need a win, you said, maybe a point, but they do need a win this week, don't they, in the Champions League?
1: Yeah, I, I've got to. They've got to win. You know, I, I was looking at it thinking, Copenhagen away is difficult. You know, I went there last year to cover City and the atmosphere was really surprised me, actually. It was really intense. and. City, true nil nil, but a man sent off after half an hour. Um, but it's it clearly not an easy place to go to. Like I said, I thought they played pretty well at Old Trafford. Certainly they started. They started very well. They could have been ahead, 2 nil ahead in the first 15 minutes. Um, Bayern Munich only won 2-1 there and scored seven minutes from the end. They were 2-0 up in Galatasaray in Istanbul with four minutes to go. So I
0: mean, when you're saying that, it sounds ominous, doesn't it really? Well,
1: they're clearly in mean, decent size, yeah. aren't they? That's, that's what I'm saying. And that makes it tricky for United in a very hostile atmosphere. And, you know, this group of players have hardly given the impression that they, they relish hostile away atmospheres in, in recent years. We could so give a list of examples. Of you could give a list of examples, yeah. yeah. So they have, they have got to win. And you look at it like that and you think, oh, that point's not bad. But in the, con- in the context of the Champions League group, a point's disastrous. And, you know, even if they win and if uh, Bayern beat Galatasaray, United suddenly certainly be two points ahead of Galatasaray going to Istanbul. And as we've just said, I don't think anyone would have faith in them winning in Istanbul. So they're still... In a in a dangerous position in the Champions League, and you know, crashing out would be a disaster. I think it's pretty clear that top four is already very, very difficult for them this season. So, winning the Europa League is it not the best? Route well, to maybe maybe that is the solution. That's a trophy as a trophy, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the solution. But it just also for for the you know for the standing of the club because they are, you know, I I said it after the maybe the Galatasaray defeat. I think when they lost the first two and. They're almost beginning to feel like invited guests into the Champions League. It's like, oh, let's get, get United in for, for the old time's sake. Um, and then the next year, they finish sixth again and they go back into the Europa League. You know, they're, they're not in the Champions League consistently. I think on only two occasions in the last 10 years, if they've been in it in successive seasons, already now you're thinking, well, they're probably not going to be in it again next year. They might not even make the knockout round. The, the, over the last 10 years, they've, in what, they have four? knockout ties maybe four I mean, or five. United fans
0: used to obviously mock Arsenal fans for celebrating getting four feet chair, but getting four feet would also feel significant at this well, point. Yeah. You'd get at least kicking on for that. Uh, it gives a foundation, you, yeah, the foundations.
1: Yeah, the foundations and the continuity. And also for for players. You look you know, players looking at United now are like, well are you going to be in the Champions League or you're not? Because you're not, you know, you're not there that often. And then when you are there, you know, making no impact in it. I mean, the PSG result is the, I mean that's the only significant thing they've done mm. in the Champions League. In in years in the quarterfinals twice, hasn't it? Since, in the quarterfinals since quarterfinals twice, yes. Yeah. So they've won two knockout ties, Olympiakos, which was a disaster in Greece. I mean, it's going back ten years now, but a disaster in Greece and the, you know, the great. I said the great comeback, the comeback. Um, and then PSG, which you know was clearly an amazing moment. But other than that, that's it in ten years that they've won as Champions League knockout rounds. You know that you can't you can't keep trumpeting yourself as the biggest, one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the best clubs in the world. When you've got that record and you just can't make any impact, but you're thinking of that, you're forgetting their commercial value. Well, the comm- it's all
0: about the commercial value. Twitter followers the, are phenomenal. The profit and
1: the engagement on social media—that's yeah, what yeah. really matters in football. Well, this is this is this is when we're mocking them, but they make it very easy to mock them because they trumpet that, and they've got to trumpet that because it brings in money. So we, we do understand why they they do that and what what a commercial behemoth they are and how successful they are, but it makes it very easy to mock when they're then a joke on on the pitch and, and that's what it is and it's you know it's like you just roll out you know you just roll them out every year like let's get United back in and then buy and toy with them in Munich and it's like ah, these lads going on <laughs> they like do you remember, you remember United when they were good go back to Europa League lads you know they need they need to start qualifying for this competition every season and to make an impact in it and win some important games and it just it, you know it just doesn't happen at the moment that's what big clubs do. That's what big clubs do. Yeah. Big clubs will win away on
0: Copenhagen on Wednesday night, so it'll be Absolutely. an interesting game. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Tyron. Thank you, Steve. And thanks to listeners, as usual. Just a quick shout-out. Uh, we're about to hit 5,000 subscribers on YouTube, so head across there, subscribe, etc. And also, a quick message from the producer, head across and review the podcast, give it five stars feel free to slag off me and Tyrone if you want, but give it five stars and we'll be very happy with that. It helps the podcast out a lot. So thank you very much and have a great week. Take care.